Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Now, the global pandemic, we all know, has been a pivotal event for environmental, social and governance issues in the Asia-Pacific region, prompting, of course, urgent responses from corporations on ESG disclosures. Now, despite the rapid uptake of an ESG reporting framework, increased stakeholder pressure has placed tax transparency as a huge consideration for businesses that are striving to comply with regulations. Let's also not forget that there are several reporting frameworks. Now, while ESG remains high on the agenda of APEC companies in a post-pandemic era, only a small percentage apparently have actually developed frameworks that are rigorous enough for the demands of today's economy. Don't forget, consumers are starting to care about this too. So for many, taking the first step is often the most challenging, especially when they don't know or understand the key factors to consider as they pursue some responsible tax strategies. To help us out with this, Michelle Fayen joins us, Managing Director Sales at APAC of Metric Stream. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Bharati. Thank you for having me. Okay, Michelle, here's the thing. Asia, of course, has been gaining pace in its progress within the realm of ESG and sustainability in general, although some people have said we're kind of slow. But amid all of this stakeholder pressure, why is tax transparency a major consideration right now for businesses? And how exactly can they operationalize this better? Yeah, so it's absolutely important, I think. Um, there are two elements, I think, to the tax uh, policies for ESG. So one is obviously the financial benefits, which is important for any uh, company or organization. If you look, for example, in Singapore, in the Singapore Green Plan, there's a whole set of initiatives that's kind of announced, uh, including, you know, the uh, tax uh, incentives and, and grants. Singapore was also in uh, 2019 the first country to introduce carbon carbon tax. And if you have seen the budget 2020-20, it is very clear that the carbon tax uh, is going to increase significantly on average uh, double digit, you know, each each year. And hence, I think that's an important piece from a financial perspective. But I think maybe even more important is the fact that the moment you impose a tax, whether it's an ESG tax or any other tax, it becomes quantifiable and transparent. Especially for public listed companies, tax is audible. And hence, you know, the tax that is related to ESG is a quantifiable performance indicator on how a company or organization performs on its uh, ESG strategy. And I think that's that's probably the most important part because, as you correctly said, investors are looking predominantly these days uh, more and more into ESG postures of companies and tax uh, reporting is a, you know, is a good indicator for that. Governments do use taxation as a tool to incentivize corporates and other organizations as well to make sustainability improvements. And if we're talking about sustainable taxes across OECD member countries, there are more than a thousand. So that's the thing. Even when we talk about reporting standards and frameworks, there are several, aren't there? All of this can get rather daunting for any business entity. How do you navigate this more easily? Yeah, I think as you correctly said, right, there's several standards uh, out there and our expectation is that that will continue to grow 
in Singapore, GRI is a very common uh, standard in ESG, but we have also seen uh, SASB and TCFD as, you know, kind of standards that's making their ways in. And there is more standards in the making. And the way that we look at it is that you can't really, as a company, you can't really pin yourself down to one single standard, right? You need to be open to standards because different standards are kind of designed for different business and sometimes even different countries. So when you think about an ESG framework, the one thing that you need to take into consideration is that it needs to be standard independent because there will be a continuous change and you might need to comply with more than uh, than one standard. So that's important, I think, when companies uh, start thinking about, so how do I put an ESG uh, framework in place and what is the technology right, that needs to manage uh, the compliance to these uh, to these frameworks? Right. So how exactly can technology help here? Of course, the people who are using it need to have specific knowledge as well. And I'm pretty sure that at the beginning, they have to make certain key decisions. For instance, what information is required for reporting, setting up the metric data capture process, for instance. What else should they be aware of and then operationalize with technology? Yes, I think like any kind of, we call that a GRC, governance risk and, and compliance program, it is important to have that, that business objective in place and make sure that, you know, the executive management and other stakeholders are behind it. And once that is in place, right, you need to develop that, uh, that framework that we spoke about. Now, within ESG, it is a little bit more difficult, uh, more complicated than other risk and compliance frameworks. Because ESG is extremely rich from a data perspective, right? To collect carbon emission data in a large organization across countries, business unit, is a daunting task if you need to do that manually. So automation in the ESG world is absolutely key for success. It's not just for, you know, collecting the metrics, but it is also to make sure that that is done on a continuous basis so that you have the capability to provide accurate reporting on a quarterly, if not even on a monthly basis. So automation, I think, becomes even more important in order to be successful in your ESG program. Because at the end of the day, the board will require reports that uh, is uh, supporting business uh, decisions that needs to be taken. Investors will ask for the same and they will ask it for more than than once a year. Now, Michelle, I am sure that you too are familiar with the phenomenon of greenwashing, right, when it comes to the E portion of ESG. How can technology in this manner ensure that there are safeguards in place to prevent any one entity from doing things like that? Or is that a separate issue altogether? No, I think it's related, right? Because Mm. uh, ESG, to that extent, if you look at the frameworks, it doesn't really matter which framework you look at. It is a combination of a set of regulations uh, that comprises of controls that should be put in place to comply to that particular framework. So in terms of managing risk and the related controls to mitigate those risks, that's an important part to avoid that phenomenon that you were just uh, talking about and to make sure right, that enterprises can actually transparently get a view on where their ESG program is at how to see the risk in the program, how to mitigate those risks, and how to ensure right, that the program that they have designed is, uh, is on track. So transparency and that access to data on a real-time basis is absolutely crucial for success.
We're speaking with Michelle Fayen, Managing Director, Sales APAC at MetricStream. So, Michelle, explain to me how something like MetricStream solutions can help in the flow of reporting when it comes to ESG issues. So, as in the MetricStream solutions, there's a couple of capabilities that's really important to drive that automation. So, the first thing that uh, I want to call out is that automation of, you know, the metrics intake, the vast amount of data. Uh, that is just too difficult to do that manual. So we automate um, the carbon emission uh, metric intake on a real-time basis. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we do is that uh, as part of our GRC platform, ESG is just another flavor of it, and we are able to track uh, risk and control efficiencies as part of an automated workflow in the platform, which allows you then also to keep track of the progress in your ESG program. We also provide insights and relationships between ESG and other uh, types of risk. Right? For example, we see that there are starting to build relationships between cyber risk and ESG risk or third-party risk. Because when you look at ESG from a company perspective, you need to look at holistically at your third-party ecosystem as well, which every company has. When you say third-party, you mean, for instance, your vendors and everyone else that you're dealing with, including your customers? That could be your customers as well. It could be your business partners, your sales channels, and it the vendors that you interact with, yes. What else is it able to help with? Yeah, there's another part, and that's actually the most important part, right? And that is the real-time reporting that it provides. So once you've collected all your data, you've done your risk assessments, you've done your control effectiveness assessments, you've identified the issues that you need to go and fix. At the end of the day, it comes down to board reporting and making sure that the board has all the data and insights that it needs to take the right business decisions from an ESG perspective. What about making all that information palatable to consumers? Because that's something else that I think has been a point of contention that, sure, you have all these ESG credentials, but you're not making it palatable to consumers so that they can do their due diligence accurately and then make the right consumer choices. Yeah, that's a capability, right, that lies on top of the disclosure reporting. So every standard requires at least on a once-a-year basis, right, and this disclosure report, which has kind of all the, the nuts and the balls that you need from, a, from an ESG disclosing perspective. That's kind of a general report that comes out once a year. But you can enhance, obviously, that standard reporting that you do with kind of monthly reports, right, that you can make available to consumers as well. Might be different, obviously, from the reports provided to the board, but uh, that's definitely a capability that is there. Now, Michelle, I wonder how you feel about this since you are working on technology to help with ESG efforts. The idea of separating environmental, social and governance concerns from each other. Some experts have suggested this, saying that actually that would help a great deal for board members, for investors as well. So, for example, a climate-focused ESG fund probably shouldn't own Tesla, whereas prioritizing, or rather should own Tesla, whereas if they're prioritizing social or governance performance, maybe not, you know? So what do you think of that idea? How might that make tax reporting easier or more difficult or perhaps not make a difference at all? Well, it does make it different, but it's obviously a very complex matter, right? Mm-hmm. And it is different from company to company, depending on your overall business objectives uh, that you have. But obviously, from a technology perspective, mm-hmm. the more data you can gather, right, about the surroundings and the company that is out there. And 
if you look into you know what's happening in that that space there are a number of companies that make their uh, revenues from providing ESG data on almost any company on the planet right, so what we see in our uh, ESG solutions is that we take that data in and obviously depending on the strategy of the company you know you can act in in, in very different ways so that's that's an interesting part because the topic that you just mentioned, the Bharati, is uh, becoming a very important piece, right? It's not just your third-party suppliers, but it is actually any particular company on the planet where you can actually get ESG data from. And that's a service that is provided, obviously, for a fee, but I think it has a huge potential to grow. All right. Uh, just one last thing. As we move forward, there are going to be more and more changes, I'm pretty sure, and developments in this field. What are the things that companies should be looking out for in terms of stuff they might have to automate or think about automating as we move forward? Yeah, so I think, you know, the automation of the metrics is the number one, right? And sometimes it sounds simple. Uh, the technology is there, but then again, you know, depending on data formats and everything else, that can be a pretty complex task. But it is worth spending the effort in because once you've got that out of the way, you can focus on analyzing the data rather than, you know, collecting uh, the data. So that's something that we will still see a lot of uh, movement in. The second element where we see a lot of um, R&D being done is in the AI piece. Right. So as this data uh, volume is increasing, it offers naturally a better base for AI to be uh, effective, for AI to call out certain trends rather than a person kind of analyzing and maybe even for an AI to, you know, to do some preventive warnings on controls that might be failing. So AI is definitely an area where I see a lot of uh, future also in the, in the field of, um, of ESG. All right. Thank you very much for that, Michelle. Michelle Fayen, Managing Director, Sales APAC at Metric Stream. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.